campuses, I went to Brian Smith and I said, would you recommend anybody? This is who he recommended. And he said this, and I know you won't be offended by this. He said he's small in stature, but he's powerful in the pulpit. And I think we have witnessed and experienced that so far. And I also, you know what's great about this for me is not only what you're doing among us, but the time that I have to spend. You know, pastors need to talk to other people that have walked in our shoes sometimes. And um, so I've had the opportunity the past couple of days just to spend time with Nathan and talk about pastor stuff and ministry stuff and the things we deal with and the challenges we face. And, and um, I've got a great listening ear. But I've also got someone who's been there, done that, and is speaking into my life. So you're doing good things for all of us, and I just want to say thank you. And, and we're eager to hear what God's giving you for us again tonight. Thank you. I, I just want to lift a single verse of Scripture as the basis for the things that I want to share with you tonight. And... He's got it up there on the screen. It's in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 14. The Lord gives us a commandment here, and then he asks a question that demands a response. O Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. That's the command. Here's the question. How long will you harbor Wicked thoughts. Years ago, I, I ran across in my reading uh, an old play called Windows. And as the curtain rises on this play, it's a warm spring afternoon and there's a window washer sitting on scaffolding and he is washing the windows of an office complex. And in that office complex, there is the office of a journalist. And because it's a warm spring afternoon, his window is open. And the window washer is cleaning the windows along there on his scaffolding. And he talks out loud, apparently to himself, but in reality, to the journalist. And the journalist is sitting at his desk and he's lost in thought and, and he's got a pencil idle in one hand and his chin is just thoughtfully poised in the other and he seems to be lost in deep thought. And, and the old window washer says, you know, people's bedroom windows sure do get dirty. He's washing and Wiping with his cloths and he peeps over his shoulder to see if the journalist is annoyed. He doesn't seem to be, so, so the old man continues, you know, people's hall and, and dining room and living room with get dirty too. They get dirty with soot and dust and grease and, and smoke and grime. You, you really can't see out of them very well. In fact, it just makes the whole world look dull and drab. He gets quiet for a minute or two and, and he, he just keeps washing a little longer and peeps over his shoulder again and to see if the journalist is listening and convinced that he is. He says the thing that he really wanted to say all along. He said, you know, people's life's windows get dirty too. They get dirty with envy and jealousy and prejudice and greed and all of life looks dull and ugly. You, you don't see things as they really are. Sometimes you can't see them at all. And then the curtain drops. And I've thought a lot about that. That, that little one-act play. And about what the author was trying to say. And, and, and traveling as I have now for all these years as an evangelist and even, even, even being a pastor, I, I've become convinced that there really are such things as life's windows. And I, I just want to talk to you tonight about three of them. And it seems to me that, that there are three types of windows that we ought to keep clean. And, and the first is what I 
would call the horizontal windows. It's through these that we see sunsets and all the beautiful things that God has created. It's through these that we see roses and rainbows and sunsets. I mean, when's the last time you've been in a storm and suddenly the storm is over and the clouds are beginning to part, but they're dark over there and the sun breaks through and a rainbow arches across the sky? Did you ever just pull off the freeway and, and, and just gaze at that and think about the fact that, that it's an object lesson of one of the greatest promises God ever made to mankind? Now, I've been in some rainstorms when I thought maybe he had recanted. <laughs> and he was going to drown us all again. But, but he said, I will, I, I will never, ever... Drown the whole earth with water again. When's the last time you looked a rose full in the face and drank? Nobody makes perfume like that. Not Avon. Not Michibelli. Nobody makes perfume like that. And and when is the last time you followed an ant down the sidewalk? Oh, Brother Covington, give me a break. <laughs> well, a child will. No, all we have time to do is just step on it. But what does the scripture say? Observe the ant, thou sluggard. You see, it's amazing... How God has built things into our lives to, to make... I mean, we Americans, we just zip and zoom and zig and zag. We roar off in a cloud of dust in the morning. We come to a screeching halt at night. We drink something or pop something to get us going in the morning. And we take something else to shut us down at night. I mean, tranquilizers are a multi-billion dollar business in this world. But if you have eyes to see, God has built little... Things to quiet our soul and to give us peace inside and to, and to help us deal with the stress. Ole Bull, the master violinist of Norway, was playing a concert one time for his king. And when he had finished, the king sat there inside for a few moments and then he said to Ole, Where, where, where did you get the music? That you just played for me. And with a smile, all I said to him, Your Majesty, you're very discerning. He said, I, I've played hundreds of concerts, but no one has ever asked me that question before. He said, I, I sat in the mountains of our Norway and I listened to the mating calls of the bird and I caught them in my violin. I listened to the little brook tumbling down the mountain, singing and murmuring its music, and I, I caught it in my violin. I listened to the leaves clap their hands in the evening breeze and caught it in my violin. He said, I went down to the sea and I listened to the storms roll up out of the sea, the crash of thunder and the scream of the wind, and I caught them in my violin. I wonder sometimes if, if you and I really keep our windows clean enough to see the glorious things that God has made. And the Lord taught me a lesson. It's been nearly 30 years ago now. I was in Oklahoma City in a revival meeting. And about two months before that, I was in the doctor's office. And you know how it is. You have an appointment at three, but you're not going to get in at three. And I don't know where they get those magazines. I mean, they came over on Noah's Ark or something. And I don't even remember the name of this magazine or the name of the article, but it was an article about the busiest intersections in America on a Friday and Saturday night. And at that time, according to that article, the busiest intersection in America on a Friday and Saturday night was somewhere in Los Angeles. But the second busiest intersection 
was in Midwest City, Oklahoma at Southeast 15th and Air Depot Boulevard. Now, if you have ever been there on a Friday and Saturday night, you would never question that. Because every teenager in Oklahoma City, Midwest City, Dell City, Hera, Bethany, and all the suburbs around are in a two-mile stretch. Two lanes this way, two lanes this way. The cars are traveling so slow that they actually just get, roll the windows down and get out and walk along beside it and just steer it. And kids are sitting on the fenders and they pass so close they could smooch and sometimes they try that. I mean, it is just see and be seen. Well, I was having a revival there and, and, and on Friday night, somebody suggested that we go up to the Village Inn Pancake House, which was a mile over on 50 and then two miles up. Well, they all knew, they were all smart enough to know you should go a mile east and then up and then back. But, but I didn't think about that. And so the song evangelist crawled in the car with me and we went down 15th and then Air Depot Boulevard. It took us 45 minutes to cover that two miles. By the time we got there, they were ready to send out a posse looking for us. Thought we'd been kidnapped or something. But I was a slow learner, and, and so the next day, it had been raining all week, and, and the sun came out on Friday, and, and usually on Saturday, I, I fill my car with gas because Sunday night, I'm taking off, and a lot of times I'm going somewhere else. And I wanted to wash my car, and there, there's a Phillips 66 station there with a freebie car wash, and so I went down there after lunch, and there are five cars in front of me. Now, I know you don't do this, but, but I'm sitting in line and my hands are on the steering wheel and I'm doing this. And so they're, they're moving along and they're moving along and I, and I, you know, I, 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 I need to get my car washed. I need to fill up with gas. I need to get in the car washed again. I, and, I, and then I have a supper engagement and then I gotta go to the motel and get dressed before church. So I, I've, I've got my agenda. And finally, there's this little gal in front of me, and now there's only one car between me and the pump, and she's chewing gum. And I'm watching her. And I'm thinking, if you would pump that gas half as fast as you're chewing that gum, (laughs) both of us could get out of here and get on with our work and the things we need to do. But finally, she gets out of the way. And I pump my gas. Well, now I, then I turn around. Well, there's five cars in front of me, but I know how long they can stay in the car wash. Okay. So it's a warm spring afternoon, and, and so I pull up under a mimosa tree, and I roll the window down. And I'm laying there, and the car engine's running, and my engine's running. And pretty soon I just decided to turn the car engine off. And, but I haven't quit tapping my fingers on the steering wheel. And all of a sudden it dawns on me that there is this beautiful bird song. And I'm listening. And the more I listen, the more quiet my spirit got. And so I just kind of slid down on the seat and leaned my head back against the headrest. And I'm, think, I'm listening a while and I'm thinking, that's got to be a gorgeous bird because that song is awesome. So I got to looking for it. And I'm sticking my head out the window and I'm looking. And finally I spotted it way up at the top of that mimosa tree. It wasn't pretty. It was ugly. But its song was beautiful. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, Nathan, you could learn a lot of things from that bird. And I said, yeah, really? Well, like, like what? Well, he said, you, you've noticed that since you paused to listen to it, that you're soul has gotten quiet and you've just kind of relaxed and the stress has kind of drained out of you. He said, you know, I've, I've built things like this throughout your whole day if you have eyes to see them. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to need a little help. And he said, well, stoplights. I said, oh yeah, stoplights. There's at least one of those when I go through this one horse town and it's always red when I get there. 
Well, he said, you know, Nathan, depending on how much traffic they're trying to move, stoplights only last about a minute and a half. But he said, in that minute and a half, you, you could pray a prayer for somebody. If you had a Bible in there, you, 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 you could begin to learn a verse of Scripture. I said, well, um, okay. What? He said, elevators. I mean, what do we do in elevators? You walk in there. And you back up against the wall and you look down at your feet. <clears throat> you know why? I'm, the Russians have done some really interesting research about that. And it's been years ago when I, since I saw this program. But they were doing things with infrared film. Um, you know, we, 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 you've, we've said sometimes in one, in one form or another, that person just gives me bad vibes. Did, did you know that we actually emit electronic particles? And when somebody gets within six feet of you, your radar goes off. If they're a stranger and you get two feet with them, I mean, you, you, and, and so the, the Russians had, had filmed this with, with infrared film and, and they had different people with different relationships and they had friends shake hands and all that, but it went down to, to a husband and wife kissing, I mean, it looked like the 4th of July. And so, I mean, when you're in an elevator, you're, you're not more, more two or three feet from anybody. You're in the hot zone. He said, Nathan, you could just back up against the wall, close your eyes, and pray a prayer, and nobody would ask you, what are you doing? Because most of them are doing the same thing. It's like at least they got their eyes shut or looking down at their feet. And he said, if you're going up 14 floors, you can pray a prayer. I... You can think about a blessing that I brought into your life and you can thank me for it. And he said, you know, Nathan, if you just, if you just have eyes to see, he said, you, you, don't, you don't have to go to Colorado in the mountains with a cabin for two weeks. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But he said, if, if you have eyes to see, I've built these wonderful little things throughout your whole day. Just moments. But those moments add up if you have eyes to see them. I said, oh, okay, okay, I get the point. What else? Well, he said, have you noticed this bird is sitting in a tree at the second busiest intersection in America? And when the light changes, whether it's green or red, if it's red, there is the screeching of brakes. And when it turns green, there is the grinding of gears and the peeling out of wheels. It's noisy. But I gave him a song to sing. And he's just singing it with all of his heart. And he said, you know, you're listening he said, it's that way with you. You, you never know who's watching you. I've, I've given you things to do. And, and no matter what the circumstances, you ought to just do them with all of your heart. Because you never know who's picking up on what you're doing. You know, we're all under stress. Well, we are. This is a crazy world that we're in. But God just said to me, Nathan, if you have eyes to see, I've built wonderful little things to help you. I know you have to live in this world. But I've built things to renew your soul. If you just have eyes to see. And secondly, second set of windows is it's through these windows that we see open doors for service to a needy world 
Uh, many years ago now, uh, the president of Kiwanis International ad addressed a, a large group of men in Jackson, Mississippi, and he closed his talk with a stirring incident out of his own experience. He said, in essence, this is what he said. I, he said, I came down from my office one bitter cold afternoon in Chicago. He said, there was a mixture of snow and rain and sleet and gusts of winds were whipping it everywhere. And, and he said, I turned the, the collar of my big coat up and I ran from my car. And he said, out of the corner of my eye, I passed between two buildings and there was a small space between them. And he said, out of the corner of my eye, I, I thought sure that I saw a child. And he said, even though I was anxious to get to my car, I, I, that potential that that was a child I saw intrigued me. And so he said, I, I turned around and I went back. And, and sure enough, he said, there was this little boy in, in, in a very light jacket. And he was leaning up against the building. And he had something clutched in his hands. And he said, his lips were blue. And he said, I said to him, son, what, 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 what are you doing here? He said, you, you need to go home. And he said, no, no, I, no, I, I can't go home. He said, you, you don't know my daddy. And he said, well, well, what's the matter? Well, he said, he said, my daddy gave me this grocery list and, and a $20 bill and sent me to get some things. And he said, I guess my hands were so cold. That, that I didn't, I didn't feel the $20 bill slip out of my hands and, and, and all I have is, is the grocery list. And he, he said, I said to him, well, son, just go home and tell your daddy what happened. He, he'll understand. He said, no, you, you don't understand my daddy. He said, he's drunk. And if I go home and tell him that he'll pert and I kill me. He, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna wait. Till I know he's gone to sleep in a stupor. And, and I'll wait till he's gone to bed. And I said, son, you can't do that. You, you, it's getting cold every minute. You're going to freeze to death out here. Where's the grocery store? And where's your list? And he said he held up a list and, and pointed trembling finger toward the store block or so down. And I said, come on. I'll buy them for you. I, I, I can't go home and leave you out here in the cold. And he said, so we walked along and his faltering voice came over the wind. He said, I, I don't, I don't know when I'll ever be able to pay you the money back. And he said, I said to him, I don't, I don't want the money. I want you to go home. Just go home. So he said, we got to the store and I handed the grocer the list and, and, and he put the things, found them all and put them in, in a little bag and groceries and, and, and so the little boy left and got to the door and he said he stopped and he set the grocery store bag down and, and he came back to me and he put his arms around my waist as far as he could and he looked up at me and he said, Mister, I wish you was my daddy. Wish you was my daddy. And he said he went, went back and picked up the grocery sack and left and he said, you know what I did? He said, I went back out in the storm and walked three or four blocks to see if I could find another boy who'd lost $20 and had a grocery list. You know, folks, if we have eyes to see, they're everywhere. I got my hair cut today. You can probably tell, you can tell that. I got it zipped. But I talked to her. And she asked me, she said, are you, are you from around here? I said, no, I'm from Arkansas. She said, what brings you all the way out here? I said, well, I'm, I'm speaking at a church here in the city. She said, is it a conference? Or I said, well, it's kind of like that. I, I said, and it's probably a term you don't understand. We call them revival. But I said, we're having special services. And, and she said, well, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, well tonight I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about our mind and what we put in it and how important it is about how careful we put things in our mind and I begin to tell her one of the illustrations I'm going to share with you in a moment and the last thing I said to her is it's why Jesus wants us to forgive it's not because the people get off scot-free it's because of what we're carrying around 
And I said, I'm, I'm speaking at Church of the Nazarene, and, and, and it's over on Mountain View. Now, I didn't feel led to invite her, but I told her where it was. And so I said, thank you for my, for my haircut. And she said, thank you for the conversation we've just had. Now, what will God do with that? I don't know. But if you have eyes to see. She said, the last parting thing she said to me was, I've had some hard knocks. I said, yeah, we all have. But there's something we ought to do about them. And I love helping people figure out what to do. And several years ago, I was with a pastor and his wife was preparing lunch. And and she needed some milk for the mashed potatoes. And so she sent us to the store for two or three things. And and so I rode with him and, and we got down. And we're going down the aisle, you know, where all the dairy stuff is. And there was this lady there and she had a cart and she had a just part kind of cattywampus. And she just had this really serious grieving kind of look. And and the pastor was a really jovial jovial kind of kid and a guy and, and and so he quipped at her as we went by. He said, Lady, it can't be that bad and I mean she spun around and looked at him and she said, You don't have a clue. And he was just wise enough. He just stopped and said, Well tell me about it. And I mean she just unloaded to these two strangers in the aisle in the grocery store. And we listened. And when she'd finished, and tears were coursing down her cheek, and he said, you know, ma'am, I don't know the answer to that, but I know somebody who does. Would it be okay if I prayed with you? She said, I'd love for you to pray with me. He said, we'll do it. And we just bowed our heads right there in the aisle and he just prayed this simple and beautiful prayer for her. Now, now, did we try to win her to Jesus? No. No, we just introduced him to her for a split second. Believing that the Holy Spirit knows what to do. With, if you have eyes to see. I, I mean, were you by gas? Or the grocery store, that little clerk who checks you out. Sometimes all you have to say is just a word. And I know you don't have a lot of time because other people are on the line. But you just say a word or so and all of a sudden for just a moment it opens up a little window of a conversation. And you sow some seed that God the Holy Ghost is going to work with and generate and we just need to keep these horizontal windows clean. I mean, we as ministers, we're always admonishing you to witness. And somebody said, well, brother, come tonight. You know, I've never been a soul winner. I'm not asking you to be a soul winner as such. Yes, when you have an opportunity. Jesus said, you will be witnesses to me. And the opportunities are there. There are dozens of them every day. If. Have eyes to see. The second set of windows is um, what I call. If we can get this to do that, all right. Can you help me back there? Because sometimes technology is. It's what I call the inner sanctum windows. Dr. Cortland Myers was preaching once and he said, let me be fancy for a moment. He said, inside of every one of us, there's a little room we might call our Holy of Holies. It's where the real you lives. It's far beyond the view of prying eyes. No, no one else is ever allowed in there. There's a little man or there's a little woman sitting at a loom and they're weaving the warp and the whoop of your character and they're doing it out of your thought life. If the thoughts are pure and beautiful, the, the shuttle threads are white and gold. If the thoughts are ugly and dark and, and negative, then, then the shuttle has black threads and gray threads. He, he just he uses whatever you put into the bin. And I was talking to that young lady about this today. 
He uses whatever you put there. Your, 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 your air castles, your daydreams, your night dreams, the, the, the television programs you watch, the, the, the DVDs you look at, the movies you see, the music that you listen to. All of them go into developing your character. Now, this is not the fanciful rhetoric of a preacher in the exact scene in the lives of mankind. Over in the 8th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, about the 12th verse, and you don't see this in the NIV, but, but you see it in the King James. God allowed the prophet Ezekiel an experience, like there's a vision, and he tells us what he saw. He was lifted up between heaven and earth and, and he saw a small hole in a wall and the instructions came to enlarge it and he opened it up kind of like a subterranean thing and, and the whole secret area was open to his view and on the walls were decorated images and pictures and animal forms that, that were worshipped by the heathen. And the 70 elders of Israel, which, which would have been the Sanhedrin, the governing religious governing body, are, are worshipping there and, and they're burning incense toward these creeping things and the abominable beasts and a whole bunch of idols and, and the whole thing is sickening and repulsive to the man of God. And in the verse after that it says, Son of man, do you see the wickedness, the abomination is committed here? For they said, the Lord does not see us. The Lord is not present, has, has left. You see, every person has a secret chamber of images. It's deep-seated within the being. It's far from the view of prying eyes. On its wall, too, are paintings and mosaic and designs and etched there by the imagination. And in his book, Crowded Details, Don Maloff reminds us that the imagination is far more than a toy by which we sporadically daub and splash and paint. It plays a far more important role than we fully realize. It is a causative agent. It is the creative center of life. Those mental ramblings in there, they're etched deeply and they're actually blueprints for future acts and deeds. That which we create, that which we gaze and muse upon, that which we adore, that which we worship as a way of molding us into the future. And the three forces that, that are at work within that hall of images are memory and imagination and desire. Selection in and operation of these is vital. If memory is allowed to dredge up all the sordid happenings of the past, all the injuries experienced, all the trash heard, the same disturbing elements will be projected into our future. When imagination runs rampant to feast on the carcasses of filth that's so available in our culture, there can be little hope for eating delicacies of thought in the days ahead. If the deepest inner longings center in the illicit and the forbidden and the illegal, there can be nothing in the future but the inevitable result of covetousness and love. It's evident that the person without discipline of thought is his own worst enemy. What we remember what we imagine, what we desire, what we meditate on and love creates our future. It's no wonder, <coughs> excuse me, that Solomon wrote, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How we need to keep those windows clean. Folks, some of us are watching programs and looking at things and listening to stuff that if 20 years ago somebody had told you you would... You would have been ready to go to fisticuffs with them over the whole idea. That didn't happen to you at once. Just little by little. I, I mean, the devil doesn't have to insert thoughts. Sometimes he just lays them out there and we pick them up and stick them in. And we fill our own minds with so much Garbage, and then wonder why we're in turmoil, and wonder why we're under stress, and and wonder why we can't seem to think other kinds of thoughts. 
Dr. Owen Vincent Peale illustrated this experience. He said, I was, I was on a fast train from New York to Chicago, and he said I was going to speak there the next day. And, and so he said, I was in the sleeper car, and he said, I got up the next morning, and because I was going to speak, he said, I was hoping to find a little table where or I could just kind of go over my notes and, and get ready for the speech that I was going to give that afternoon. And But he said that the, the, the train was packed, and so he said, the porter sat me down with another gentleman and his wife, and we introduced ourselves and, and, and struck up a lovely conversation. And he said, they, they brought the menu, and we looked at it, and he said, a part of what we ordered was grapefruit. And he said, they brought it, and the husband and I, you know, we took a little knife, and you're, you know, you're cutting around that. And he said, we're having this lovely conversation, and all of a sudden, his wife slams her spoon down on the table and said, that is the most bitter grapefruit I've ever had in my life. I bet I paid big bucks for that. And you would think they could have brought enough sugar or something to make it worthwhile. And he said, we stopped our conversation while she's going through this tirade. He said, then we resumed and we're, and we're eating. And he said, pretty soon she, she pulled her sweater around and she said, it's drafty and cold in here. Good grief, this train is full of people. They got money. You'd think they could turn the heat up in this thing. And he said, she was just, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, we waited. And after a while, we began our conversation again. And pretty soon she started up on something else. And, she, and Dr. Peel said, her, her husband looked at me apologetically. And he said, Dr. Peel, he, he said, you'll have, you'll have to forgive my wife. He said, actually, she's really a very clever person. In fact, he said, she's a manufacturer. And Dr. Peel said, I tried not to look too surprised and say, oh, really? What does she manufacture? He said, unhappiness. Her own. Now, folk, we, we weren't born negative. We weren't born prejudiced. I mean, watch two children. It doesn't matter the difference in the color of their skin. They're going to play till somebody tells them. We don't deal with those. We don't associate with those. I mean, I mean haven't you known people who were just so negative? I mean, they'd gripe if you hung them with a new rope. I mean, the glass is never half full of water. It's always half empty. I mean, there's a thing in our culture. Attitude determines altitude. It's not just a clever little saying, it's reality. And we just build all these negative... Thing, and we allow our minds to, to dwell. I mean, all of it's going to have that. The enemy's going to try to insert some things in your mind. But, but I mean, what we do, what are we going to do with that? Well, I have power over my mind. I, I do not have to, to dwell on all of that. But if we do, I, I mean, we get wounded. And we do. I mean, relationships get tough. You know, there, there are people in your family, you go to family reunion, but you, you just manage to get off in the other room when they come into this one, and you sure don't sit on their side of the table. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're it. <clears throat> You know, we we get wounded, and and see when 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 we get wounded, we 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 bulldoze those down, we bury we bury those, but you don't bury them dead, you bury them alive, and they grow, and they fester, and they get bigger than what the original incident really was. It's. It's just so important what we put in there. And I'll tell you how important. There's a neurosurgeon in Canada named Wilder Penfield. And, you know, we think we're clever because we have computers. And I was talking to this little gal today. She's cutting my hair about this. 
I mean, the most fabulous computer the world's ever made weighs three and a half pounds and sits right here. And he said, as a neurosurgeon, he, he could take one of us into this operating room and put us under anesthetic. Open up our skull. Touch a certain portion of our brain with an electrode and we'll just start talking like a tape recorder. And everything you have ever thought, whether you ever verbalized it or not, every thought you have ever had is stored there. Let, let's say you're 80 years old tonight. And when you were five years old, your mother gave you a birthday party. When they touch that part of your brain where that information is stored, you can tell them the color of the bows on the packages that you unwrapped of your presents. You can name every present you received. You can name every child who was at your birthday party. You can tell them the frosting, the color of the frosting on the cake that your mother baked for you. And usually at birthday parties, we play games, and, and a game that you would have played that many years ago, and some of you might be old enough, I wouldn't dare to say so, but you might be old enough to remember that, is a game called Blind Man's Bluff. And if in playing that game, you fell down and skinned your knee and cried, when you get to that part of the narrative, you will cry all over again, just like you did 75 years ago. You think it isn't important? what you put into your private picture gallery. <clears throat> you know, folks, I reminded you yesterday that, that, that one day we're all going to stand before God. You know, John described it this way because they stored information in books. He said, the books are going to be open. And every secret thing will be shouted to the rooftops. Well, well don't you think the God that created us if we're clever enough to make computers and VCRs and DVDs, don't you think he will be able to plug yours into the screen? And you won't be able to say, that's not my tape. Nor will you be able to say, I never said that about him. I never had those thoughts about her. <clears throat> now, if you're computer savvy... You know, we have the little trash can up there on the screen and you can take the mouse and boom. But you also know it's still on the hard drive. Oh, but the good news of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus knows how to wipe the hard drive clean. And there were things in my hard drive I wouldn't want anybody to have known about. The final set of windows is what I call the vertical windows. Have you ever come to the end of a day and, and, and knelt down maybe to say your prayers and, 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 and it just seemed like they just wouldn't go heavenward? Have you ever said that to your pastor? Well, I pastored for 16 years and I've had people say to me, Pastor, my, my prayers just don't go up. And, and I tried to know my people well, not, not in a wrong searching kind of way, but just... just who don't know how to minister to them and I would have to say to some of them you know you, you've allowed something to get between you and God maybe you've done something you should not have done or you've left something undone that you promised God that you would do maybe even last revival or maybe you've allowed your imagination and your thoughts to dwell on impure things and the window between you and God has gotten dirty and the, and, and the music has gone out of your soul. And sometimes, you know, we, we just get so busy living life here, we, we, we forget to climb the, the secret stairway that leads to the prayer closet, so to speak. 
Carter Helm Jones tells this story. He said, uh, we were pastoring down in Georgia. And he said, our, our parsonage <clears throat> was a two-story house. But, but, but he said, there was another little room up at the top. Kind of a little small third room. And he said, we, we nicknamed it the Sky Room. And he said, we, we, we put a little table <clears throat> and a lamp and a chair in there and a Bible. That's all it was in the room. And when somebody just needed to get away and just needed to get into God's presence, and they, they just went to the sky room, and we had this understanding in our family. If somebody's in the sky room, you, you, ju- you just don't bother them. And he said, I, I came in one Friday afternoon late, and, and he said, we were in a building program, and... And, and the money hadn't come in like we, like we thought it was going to. And, and he said, I've been meeting with the banker and I'm meeting with the architect and we're trying to figure out what we can do in relation to what we're, what we're going to have. And he said, I've been out making hospital calls and everywhere I went, they had already gotten out of the hospital, but they hadn't called the church office to tell me. Now, I know you don't do that to your pastor, but I've had that experience. And he said, I was just so frustrated. And he said, I I went through the kitchen and my wife was fixing supper. And I said to her half angrily, I'm going to the sky room and I don't want to be bothered. Now, he said, I didn't need to give her that admonition. Because I was always so much a better man when I came down out of the sky room. If I was going there, she would see to it that nobody bothered me. (laughs) And he said, "I, I trudged up the stairs. And I opened the door and flipped a little switch that, that turned on that little lamp. And he said, I, I plunked down in the chair and I, I picked up the Bible and, and I was just thumbing through it and just looking for something. And just, I just didn't know what I wanted. I was just so frustrated. And he said, I, I hadn't been there but just two, three, four minutes till, till, till I heard footsteps coming up the stairs. And he said, I thought, who got past my wife's vigilance? And he said, I heard this little timid knock. He said, I angrily scooted my chair back. And and on the way over there, I'm yelling, what do you want? He said, I opened the door and and it was my little seven-year-old daughter. And she was standing there sheepishly looked out at me and she said, Daddy, I, I, I know I'm not supposed to be here. But you've just been so busy for so long. It's been so long since you let me put my arms around your neck and tell you that I love you. And it's been a long time, Daddy, since you just pulled me in and held me and said, I love you. He said, I fell down on my knees. And I opened up my arms and she slipped in and I hugged her. And she put her cheek up next to mine and she pecked me and she said, I love you, Daddy. He said, I love you, sweetheart. He said, she just stayed there a minute or two and then, and then she slipped out of my arms and tiptoed back down the stairs. And he, he said, I, I didn't get up off of my knees. He said, I just crawled on all fours through the door and reached back and kicked it with my foot. And I walked on all fours till I, till I could get my elbows in the bottom of that cane chair. And he said, I dropped my head down in my hand and I said, dear God, that's what's the matter. I've just been so busy working for you. Zipping and zooming and zigging and zagging. It, it, it's been a long time since I just really stopped long enough to tell you I really love you. And it's been a long time since I got quiet enough for you to say to me, I love you, Carter. He said beautifully what, what I've been trying to say in this message tonight. When I was praying weeks ago about what I should share with you, because I've, I've never been here before, I don't know you. I said, Lord, where, where are they? He said, Oh, Nathan. He, he said, Some of them are allowed to get their windows 
dirty. They they think that what they're looking at is reality, but it really, really isn't. They just need to let me scrub them so they see things differently. And he, and he said some of them would put some stuff in their private picture gallery that, that really doesn't belong there. And it's affecting them a lot more than they realize. And he said, others of them have just been busy working for me, just doing things so hard. And he said, what, what, what they really need is just to pause long enough just to let me hug them and pull them up close and tell them how much I love them. You know what I think we really ought to do tonight? I, I, I think we just ought to turn this in to a Skyrim. I, I think we just ought to just open up our hearts and say, do, do you need to work on my windows, Lord? If I, if I allowed some things to get in there. Uh, some of you, if you, were really, if you were really expressing the cry of your heart, you would just say, I need to be hugged. I want to tell you. I won't give it a long story, but God the Holy Ghost picked me up one day and hugged me in answer to a five-year-old's prayer. And I know what God's hugs are like, and they're awesome. And some of you just need a hug. He's been working so hard for King Jesus. So I want you to stand. And... And so nobody will, will be obligated to do anything anywhere. We're not going to have music tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pray a prayer. Because I, I want anybody who, who wants to come and whatever your windows need. I, I just want you to be able to come if that's what Spirit's saying to you. So we're just going to pray. And then we're just going to turn this into a Skyrim. We're going to let God do some things He needs to do for us. Father God, thank you for this beautiful, simple truth that the prophet Jeremiah brought to us from you. And you need to say to some of us tonight, watch the evil from your heart. How long are you going to allow those wicked, negative, bitter thoughts? And some of us, Lord, I mean, we love you and we love your cause and we just work at it 24 hours a day. And But we're tired. And we really just need for you to just slip up alongside of us and whisper in our ear and talk to us. And so I just pray that you'd allow the blessed Holy Spirit to walk up and down these aisles and in and out of these rows and just find us where we are. Lord, some of us have got some stuff here that doesn't belong here. And we need for you to do what only you can do. We just need the blood applied in a fresh new way. So draw us to yourself and give us the courage to to let you come and do what you need to do. We ask it for your name's sake. This, this altar's open, and I, I just wonder if somebody would say to me, Brother.